The Peter Switzer Show is brought to you by The Switzer Report. Sign up today at switzerreport.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Learning from Legend show with me, Peter Switzer. On this week's show, we hear from the man who once channeled Donald Trump, Mark Burris, hosting the Australian version of the TV show, The Apprentice. Mark is a very different kind of bloke and entrepreneur than Donald is and is famous for starting Wizard Home Loans and Yellow Brick Road. He says, unlike Donald, that empathy is the word of the new business age. And then we hear from the godfather of cryptocurrencies, Mike Turpin, ahead of a major debate with Harry Dent on the future of Bitcoin. Mike says it's heading to, wait for it, $100,000 this year, but Harry expects a 90% crash. That debate is on at 11am Sydney time tomorrow, Thursday, uh, 28th of January, and you can check it out at the website gokogroup.com. That's G-O. KOgroup.com slash Bitcoin debate or check the link in the podcast show notes. So, without any further ado, let's catch up with Mark Burris. Joining me now is Mark Burris. And Mark, apart from being a, a rooster supporter, is one of the best business growers in the country. And uh, he's regularly helping other businesses grow. Mark Burris, thanks for joining us, mate. Hey, Peter, how are you going, mate? Very good, very good. Now, we, we can talk about football all the time, so, but the value of Mark Burris, I think, to the majority of business owners out there is to give his, his insights, the stuff he's learned along the way. And one of my first questions to you really is, Mark Burris, did you learn, where, where did you learn about growing businesses? Was it in your academic background, being a chartered accountant, or was it at the cold face, hanging out with really smart people? I reckon, to be honest with you, when I first, how I first learned about it was probably watching my dad and his bro five brothers. I mean, like, they all come, they're all uneducated, so when they come to Australia, they had no choice but to be in business for themselves. They're not going to go and walk into a, a law firm, an accounting firm or something like that, and because uh, they didn't basically didn't go to school. So and I watched my dad, whilst he worked in a factory during the day, he was always trying out new things, new, coming up with ideas with his brothers about you know, how to set up little property businesses. They went and built some houses and they they engaged a builder to do it. But uh, they built it, they come up with these little ideas around, um, the little technology ideas actually about um, how to build blades that uh, swimmers might use to build resistance so that they could become stronger and better. So I guess I saw my parents, my dad especially, um, always trying to come up with these ideas as to how to, how to improve their life um, outside of his normal day-to-day -day job. So sort of building a hustle. He was always, he always a little side hustle, Dad, always. Still does. And he was driven and focused. They're, they're really important, aren't they? Well, he, he was driven. Yeah, yeah, driven, it's a funny word, Peter. I just don't want to get people uh, wrong idea about driven. Like, Dad was more curious about how what, what he could come up with as to how to improve his life. So he was driven to get a better life for us. He wanted to get us out of punch bowl into some other place. Not there was anything wrong with punch bowl, but he wanted to get a better house. He would wanted to get a better a pool, a better car, and just and be able to make sure that we all got it properly educated. Me, my brother and sister, and, and the rest of my my mum's two sisters live with us, and my dad's youngest brother live with us as well. So it was always trying to improve our lot. So he was driven to improve his lot, not so much driven about 
business as such, but he was always very curious as to what new idea he could pursue. And I saw that. I watched him. Like on weekends, my dad would go and do fencing contracting. So he would, you know, and I'd have to go with him. We'd have to, you know, I'd have to bring all the fence palings down and pile them all up. And there was a a post digger and we had to dig the holes. And and I watched my dad put the fence together. But dad was never experienced at these things. He had to learn his stuff on the job. So I got, I, got, I got this sense that there's nothing you can't do if you want to try hard at it and learn it. You know, there was no Google in those days, but he always was, he would have someone who'd learn these things from. Then he'd go out on his own and start doing it. So, yeah, at a young age. Then I started to get involved in professional practices. And one of the things that I was in an accounting firm for a long time and a law firm for a long time, and the two things I learned about those two experiences was it's one thing to sit in the professional environment and charge 100 bucks an hour, whatever you're charging per hour, and you can, but you're limited by the number of hours. The partners of those, of the senior partners of both the accounting firm and the law firm made all their money out of business deals that they did with clients. Mm-hmm. So a client might come in as a property developer, the senior partner might invest some money in the property development with that particular property developer and or builder, or they might invest in some sort of software business, which actually happened in one of the business, one of the partnerships I was involved in. So. I watch them make their money out of things other than the professional practice, but they use the professional practice money as a means to invest. And that, that and that, that's where I first got my taste of investing. And clearly I was lucky, I was exposed to lots of great business people over, over the years, both as clients, then ultimately as business partners. And a lot of people know the story about Kerry Packer, but you know, it's the ultimate thing to have Kerry Packer as your business partner and, and I learned a lot from him. But it all goes back to the day when I was watching my dad yeah, but I think the answer shows people that in many ways you're on, like your father. Uh, you learn to be on the lookout for really great opportunities, and when you see them, you're prepared to put skin in the game. And some work, some don't. But if you're not in there having a crack at it, you haven't got a chance. Hundred percent. Like that—that's probably because I saw my dad not fail, but try and not succeed is probably a better way of doing it. But it never stopped him. I mean, people talk about resilience is probably one of the most overused words I've ever seen, but of more life, but my dad's resilience was about, came from trying things and getting, not succeeding, but then trying again. And that, that's the resilience. I mean, it's a bit like, you know, like if, if I go to the, if I went to the gym, if I'd never been to the gym in my life and then someone put a, a set of dumbbells in my hand and I, I trained with them for the first time, I'd probably lose the skin on my hands. But, be, but the more times you go and the more times you expose your hands to it, you start to build up resilience by in terms of um thicker skin resilience comes from just doing things over and over and over and over and over and over again fail or succeed doesn't matter just keep doing it that's where your resilience comes from and my old man had plenty of that yeah mark um looking at you know people setting themselves up for this year after many people who experienced 2020 as a tough year you know things like do you recommend people do a business plan whether it be a really official one or back of an envelope one, but at least try and predict where their business is going and, and use this business plan as a bit of a blueprint? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I actually recommend that everybody, we do it in all our businesses, but we you, we actually commit to it by writing, putting in writing, and but it's collaborative uh, piece of work and that everybody, but I don't expect everybody gets involved. I don't think you should spend like months and months and months on it. It should be quick. Um, it should be, as I say, collaborative, um, and it should be in writing. But then you, I think what's more important, Pete, is you've got to review it every month. Yeah. So re-forecast and review your plan, review the narrative, review all the messaging, um, review your P&L based on how you're going, just to, and re-forecast where you want to go. 
So the business plan at the beginning of the year, like now, I think um, January is the time to do it. Not, I'm not talking about not July, but January is the time. I, I like to have a calendar year plan and uh, because everyone's got a bit more time, a bit more reflective as well. And you can sort of see, you know what, what really was tough on you last year. So you sort of know, okay, how do I play defensive against what what did you know what was attacking us last year in terms of market share, et cetera? And then how do I how do I fight aggressively against opportunities? So what are the opportunities for this year? And how do I get into those opportunities ag- aggressively? That's sort of my plan. That's a January job. Um, and I, I try to get everybody on board for that. And but don't get too carried away with it. Like, you know, like it's not it's not your life and death. Don't sign in blood. That does make sense. Mark, one of the things that I learned when I first started business and really was impressed with was the idea of a SWOT analysis, looking at your strengths, the weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And, and I do that regularly. I also have realised that as, as a business leader, it's great to do a SWOT on yourself. What do you think of both those two concepts? Uh, a SWOT on, <clears throat> well, the SWOT on your business, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. Um, I, I think that's really important in terms of your business. So that goes in your business plan. That, that's a that's a, that's a Q&A session or a, let's call it a hackathon you have with your own team before you build your plan. But on in terms of your strength, yourself, I think it's incredibly important. Individuals should know what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I, Jack Gibson used to say, play to your strengths and train to your weaknesses. Um, and that's where learning comes in. You know, like in business, You've got to keep learning. You've got to keep learning around your weaknesses. And by the way, you can learn around your strengths too. By the way, recognizing what your strengths are is really important. You know, because a lot of us, we sit there, oh, this is bad, this is bad. Like, okay, well, that's great. But what, think about what you're good at too, by the way. Don't just keep bashing yourself up. And I was I interviewed John Kavanaugh, who is Conor McGregor's coach. So they're both right now in Abu Dhabi waiting for Conor McGregor's fighting Dustin Poirier um, next week. Uh, you know, you know. McGregor's you know, probably allegedly, you know, the greatest UFC name in in, in history so far. And, um, you know, and John Kavanagh got him there. And he, John Kavanagh happens to be a mathematician and a mechanical engineer as well, but he has gone to full-time training. So he's a very logical, smart thinker. And he told me his attitude in terms of business is about win or learn. He never takes a view that you win or fail. He says win or learn. So you win, but make sure you count your wins. Make sure you... Give yourself a pat on the back when you win because it actually builds some neuroplasticity in your own mind. So that's a bit like knowing my strengths. You've got to build that neuroplasticity in your own mind about what I'm good at, what I'm winning at, and just every little win you make, register it and give yourself a pat on the back every single day. When you don't do something well, don't look at it as a failure, but look at it as a learning event. So Okay, that didn't work out so well, as I said earlier. My dad didn't succeed. I didn't say he failed. He didn't succeed. But what did I learn from that? So win, learn, win, learn, win, learn. And that's how he's trained Conor McGregor to become someone like he's incredibly confident McGregor. Fight anybody for it, Mayweather as a boxer, which is ridiculous. I couldn't believe anyone would do that. But And he acquitted himself very well. So win and learn. So that's about strengths and weaknesses. So strengths and weaknesses is effectively knowing what I'm, what am I good at? What am I winning at? And what, where am I weak and what, what can I learn from that? And how do I learn around that? Study, courses, reading, listen to Switzer, listen to Boris, have listen to other people's conversations. Mm. You, might get, you might not get a chance to have a conversation with John Kavanagh. But go and listen to my conversation with John Kavanagh. You might not get a chance to listen to Mark Boris or Peter Switzer, but go and listen to Switzer's conversation with Mark Boris. You're in the conversation. That's where podcasts are so powerful, mate. Because you're in the conversation. You can tune in, tune out as you like. You can write notes as you want. 
you can take out what's important. It's not being played back a thousand times if you want to. That's a great way of learning. Yeah. Let's go to the next one, Mark. How important has um, objective sets of eyes been in your experience? People who you hung out with, people who you employed, people who just told you stuff that you wouldn't have seen, and those objective set of eyes were important to your success. Uh, a guy called David Baskey once said to me, we're just talking about this uh, winning thing uh, and, uh, and, and learning. He once said to me um, when I was 30 years of age, when he'd been approached by Rene Rifkin in those days, who was a client of our firm, Rene went to David and said to Rene, uh, David, look, David, um, I'd like Mark Boris to come and work for me. What's the transfer fee? You know, these two guys doing a transfer deal, um, and I, which I had no idea about, but uh, but David told me about it, and he, which was um, um, to his credit, and uh, he told me about it. And I said, well, I don't know, what should I do? Because, you know, Rene uh, promised me a lot of money, much more than I was earning over a three-year period, guaranteed. In those days, Rene ran, um, uh, he ran um, uh, Wardley's bank at those, in those days, you know, as well as many other things, as you would know. And I, and I said, uh, what should I do? And David said, well, Mark, I'm going to tell you one thing, only one thing, always look after your own corner. And that's an important thing. Um, you've always, don't consider me, don't consider Rene. When you're in business for yourself, and I was an employee, but effectively I was in business for myself. Every employee is in business for themselves. They're just working within the beehive. When you're an employee whether or whether you're a proprietor, it doesn't make any difference. Think about yourself and you must be a bit, bit selfish. I mean, it's, it's not self-centered, but you've got to be thinking about yourself. And David's point was, no one else is going to look after your corner, Mark. You're in this fight on your own. So you do what you think is the best thing from you. Gather as much um, information and um, socialise it. And that wasn't a word in those days, but talk to as many people as you can about what you think, the, what they think is the best way forward. In those days, you know, I, I asked lots of my clients, what, what should I do? And uh, in the end, I stayed, I stayed with David. I didn't go with Rene, thank God, but as it turned out. But, um, and I, I think being involved with very senior, extraordinarily experienced people, very, very bright person he was too. It, it, I, I think um, you learn tricks of the trade, you know, and tricks of the trade is the difference between, you know, sort of observing business from afar as opposed to being in business up close and being in business, why well, I always say you should be in business with a partner. I, I just like being in partnership um, because, and with per, a person not necessarily below me uh, in terms of say money or status or whatever experience, probably a better word of saying. I like to be with people who are equal to me or better than me in their field. Mm -hmm. So I can learn the tricks of the trade. Tricks of the trade are so important. You know them, but we, you and I, we learn them because we've been around for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't know them in the beginning. We, we did, we're not genetically uh, blessed that we know the tricks of the trade. I don't think anyone is, you know, and uh, and sometimes you make you learn from by making mistakes. Yeah, no, exactly right. And that's why I'm talking to you right now. We made a lot of mistakes, but in the end, we learn a lot from it. Mark, let's go to the next one. And this is related to what you just said then. Uh, and I, actually, a funny story. On, on Saturday, I was uh, lined up to do a uh, interview on QTB, and they put me back half an hour because my Mark Burris had gone missing. Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the gym and he was late, so they pushed me back because he was in the gym. I and know, I actually said, I said, well, I'm interviewing him on Wednesday. Gee, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope that he actually uh, shows up. And uh, I also said, I don't know if you heard this, I actually said, well, he's in, he's in the gym. Um, for the next half hour, I'll go out and continue gardening, pulling out trees. Maybe by Wednesday I'll be as fit as him. 
But uh, well, lucky it was Chris Smith because he's such a good bloke. <laughs> lucky, yeah, like Smithy was there because like anyone else might have just punted me, but it was Smithy. And I appreciate that, uh, Swiss, for you sort of being so. No problem at all, mate. No problem at all. But the thing is, this I know you are committed to self improvement. You know, you still go to the gym, you still work out, you're still learning stuff about the business. I wonder if there are a lot of people who own businesses or or, or uh, employees who, who don't understand the importance of being committed to self improvement, getting better, getting better. Yeah, well, mate, that's the thing we got control of. I, I'm going to let people in for a little bit of a secret here. Um, like you know, like I, I, this sounds terrible. I don't want to sound morbid, but like like I'm 65, so I reckon I got you know, a good 20 left in me. Hopefully more, but a good 20. Um, and uh, so I've got to live that good tw- that 20 out the best I possibly can. I, I intend to keep working. I have no interest in stop working. So, so it comes out of quality of life. And the only way I'm going to get quality of life is if I can get out of bed in the morning, if I can walk around without too many aches and pains. And the gym actually helps that sort of thing. Um, but I, and that's something I can control. I can't control my business. I, I can't control the external things, the outcomes. I can't control COVID. What happens if they close down the borders? Or if there's a GFC or anything, like, they're not within my control. One thing I can control is how I feel, and how and how my this this business is the business of Mark Boris's body and my mind, how they work, and I can work my mind by learning and reading and listening and watching and that sort of stuff. Physically, though, I got to go to the gym. I, I I use it as a discipline, so I can actually say that you know I have this discipline, and you know there's a bit of ego involved too, and that that always always helps. But really, the deep seated part of this made is so I have a high quality life. And there's one more really important thing for me. I know if I've had a shit day in business, at the end of the day. Everything's gone wrong, my business day. I can sit there at the end of the day before I go to bed and I can say, you know what, you went to the gym and you did blah, blah, blah. Even if I just did half of what I normally do, it's a little win. Going back to that whole point, give yourself a pat on the shoulder back. You've done a little, there's one little thing, you went to the gym. Notwithstanding you had a crap day, you still went to the gym because ultimately it's not about the day in work, your business day, it's about how you are physically because that's why we work. We work so we've got enough money and we've got enough interest and enough things to have a purpose for to feel good. I mean, what the hell are we here for otherwise? It's all about feeling good. What am I giving Peter Switzer? What am I giving my people who listen to me on The Mentor? What am I giving to the YBR customers? What do I give to my family? What do I give to my friends? I can give absolutely sweet, you know what, if I don't, if I don't, if I'm not fit enough, physically fit enough. So it's all part of the beehive, mate. It's, it's a really important part of the beehive. Mark, one of the big revelations to me as we grew our business is that uh, when you're in a leadership role and you're trying to grow your business, the, the one area where you, you really find that you have to keep developing all the time is understanding people. People being your customers and people being your staff. And how hard is it to lead staff if you don't really understand people? Is that, do you agree with me that's a critically important part of your business success? to become better at understanding people? Um, I think for me, it has become critically more relevant and I've been become more aware of it, particularly probably more so in the last 10 years as I've matured. But I think um, society today is about um, listening and or empathy is, is a bigger part of society today than it ever has been in the past. We are political parties, you know, like you, you can look, look at Joe Biden, it's made up of a thousand parties you know, the Democrats, it's not just one party. The reason why the Republicans, they're sort of like more like one party or maybe two or three interests, but you're not going to beat a thousand interests. And the thousand interests are a representation of society today because society has become much more empathetic. 
I mean, everybody has a say. Internet has helped us or allowed us for everybody to have a say. Twitter, blah, blah, blah. It's, everyone's got a say. So in business, everyone's got a say. Outside of the business, they know that they've got to say outside of the business, they, they expect that to be transferred back into the business. Same for customers. Customers believe they've got to say as to your service, the quality, et cetera, and they want to say it too, and they will say it too. So don't push against the, you know, the tide. This is a game you've got to become part of and you've got to become really good at it and you've got to be um, sort of um, acutely aware of the process of what your customers want and acutely aware of the process of what your staff want. And as I said, it's become like, it's it's like nearly a key to being successful in business today if you're running a business that requires people um, to be empathetic. Empathy is like, to me, resilience is a big word, everyone goes, but I think empathy is probably the most important word. Understanding what everybody wants around you today has become more important than ever before. And you know, so I keep talking about BIs because I've been observing bees. I mean, I, I love to look at things, observe things. And uh, I bought, I've got beehives on my farm, but I've got a beehive at home in Sydney. And um, and I just watch, it's interesting, you think about the queen bee, and the queen bee has always been you know, like the proprietor, like you and me sort of thing, yeah. sort of that. But the queen bee today is just jack shit, unless all the drones, who are the ones who basically have sex with her to help her produce more bees, and all the worker bees that go ahead and collect all the nectar, um, she, if they decide that they don't want her and she's not doing what they want, that is producing the sort of offspring that they want, they they, they kick the queen bee out. They literally quick uh, get rid of the queen bee, gone. Um, and all the queen bee's really doing there is um, satisfying their requirements. And that's sort of what you've got to do if you're a proprietor and a business, because you're subject to your customers and all your staff. So if, and ultimately they will get rid of you. you know I mean, you can become irrelevant if you don't know what everybody wants. Very, very important. Mark, uh, let's just move. And by the way, I've known you for well over 20 years now. And Much longer than that, I've mate. noticed your empathy growing, mate. Like, when I first met you, I don't think empathy was even in your uh, dictionary. Well, it wasn't. And when I was at the wizard business, which was 20-odd years ago, um, uh, there was a saying around called, uh, be careful you don't get a borosing, um, be from internally in the staff environment. And, and, and of course, you know, we did the uh, the apprentice, and that was about getting a borosing. You know, the, the whole process of that show was about putting shit on people, like giving them a hard time, which is why I don't do it anymore, because I don't think that's a real – I think that, that – that style is not appropriate anymore. I really don't think that process exists anymore or is relevant. And, um, and but it's not because I'm some sort of, um, you know, like uh, angel, I'm not. Um, all I've done is adapted to what's required, mate. That's where the demand is. And I have to, I have to meet the demand. I'm a demand type guy. Look, where's the aggregate demand? The aggregate demand wants me to be this way. Uh, you gotta be a chameleon. I'm, I'm doing it, whatever it is required. Right. We've looked at some of the old fashioned um, um, influences on Mark Burris. What about the new age of marketing, digital, social media and stuff like that? If I've got a good business, but I know uh, I haven't really embraced these key areas, how important is it me as a business owner to embrace the, the digital world? Um, in terms of um, digital being, for example, digital marketing um, as an alternative to, you know, your above line marketing, your normal marketing, um, digital marketing, and let's sort of drill down a little bit further, like social media, um, I think is extraordinarily important if you know how to do it properly. So there is, what sort of irks me a little bit is there's um, people who are getting sort of, you know, use social, they think they use social media for a marketing purpose, but they don't understand the science around it. 
and the science is in the data and the data is the thing that is revealing to us in terms of what um, works and what doesn't work. And how does that data get someone to engage with our business as opposed to just engage with the post? So I might have an Instagram account, I might be, and Instagram's about education and, entertain, and entertainment, one or the other or both, if you're good enough at being able to do it. Um, but it doesn't mean anyone's going to engage with me or buy something from me or, 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 or deal with me. Um, and the, the gathering data around how do I get people through the top funnel into the middle funnel, then down into the bottom funnel, that science piece is extraordinarily important. And you need to have someone in your environment, either as a consultant or in your business as such, who can explain to you how to build a proper, proper digital strategy. And what does that mean? And and how do I go back to the people who are interested in what I've got to say and or interested in my product? And how do I tease them along and then eventually make contact with them and try and sell them something? Um, you, know, uh, you know, you've got a newsletter and I think your newsletter does it very well. There are others, I mean, there are other newslet similar newsletters, newsletters to what Switzer does, but they're much more aggressive. And to some extent, their digital campaigns, for me, are too aggressive. In fact, they get to a point where they start to annoy me. They hit me morning, lunch and dinner about, look, we've got this great secret about some stock you should be investing in. Um, you, you know, if you just subscribe here, you'll be able to you'll be yeah. able to read more about it. And you know who I'm talking about. Um, and it's too full on. Yeah. And so that that digital um, marketing campaign is about full aggression. I don't mean it in that sense, but like very aggressive though. And that and that and you can burn a lot of people, as well as you can suck a lot of people in. I think you need whatever strategy you decide upon. Make sure you've got a really good digital strategist. And there, there's some people called digital scientists around these days. Digital science is actually a course at university. Um, these individuals that come out of there have got a bit of experience. They're very good at it. And I think if you're going to go into the social medium, which you must go into the social medium, particularly if you're in retail, um, you've got to go into that medium. Um, don't waste your time putting up photographs and Instagram stories and stuff on Facebook and various other places, LinkedIn, whatever it is. If you've got no strategy as to how to get them down the funnel and into your website and deal with them or onto a landing page, so, so much so that you can follow them around and then deal with them. It's the digital marketing stuff or the digital environment is complex and you've got to have the right advice. Yeah. Well, Mark, I always say to many, many people, um, the most important, well, one of the most important things you can do is learn from legends and you are exactly that, a legend of business. You're happy to help other people. And that's a sign of the, the empathetic side of Mark Bruce that I really do enjoy hanging out with. See you, mate. Thanks, that fit switch. I wanted to say to you, mate. I mean, I appreciate those kind words, but I think what's really important here is for me is me having the opportunity to talk to about to the stayers like you. Um, you and I aren't too dissimilar in age, and we have a very similar background in terms of academia, academia etc. Um, and I don't think people understand that uh, you know, like the the force behind Peter Switzer, and by the way, more importantly, Maureen Switzer, the force that sits behind that family and what they are continue continually paying forward to all those who are prepared to listen. And I, I really appreciate an opportunity to actually to be sitting here in front of you, your green screen, which by the way has got something else behind it. But it's really cool to be able to sit here in front of Peter Switzer because this is not a sort of mutual uh, bromance, but. Switz is the king as far as I'm concerned. Good on you, mate.
And that, of course, was Mark Burris. And coming up, we'll be talking to the godfather of cryptocurrency, Mike Turpin, and have his major debate with Harry Dent on the future of Bitcoin. But before that, let me just let you know that in case you don't know, so we actually have a financial planning business, and you can check us out at switzeradvisor.com.au. Uh, we started this business when most financial planners were doing things like uh, taking secret commissions and all those sorts of things. So we've started our business always um, rebating commissions, uh, telling people exactly what's going on in their financial life, and uh, we just charge a flat dollar fee. But if you want to do it yourself, have a look at the Switzer Report. There will help you uh, select the kind of investments that might uh, make sure that your portfolio or your superannuation is heading in the right direction. It's a uh, $397 for your annual fee. And for many people, particularly inside a self-managed super fund, it could be tax deductible. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Mike Turpin, uh, the godfather of cryptocurrency and head of his major debate with Harry Dent on the future of Bitcoin. Welcome to the program, Mike. Glad to be here. So tell us why you're described as the godfather of uh, Bitcoin. Actually, it's the godfather of crypto, not of Bitcoin. Right. Uh, Bitcoin was a couple of years before I got into it, um, which was uh, 2008 for the white paper in 2009. Um, I got in just after the first halving, so in early 2013. But I've worked with uh, about two thirds of the market cap of all the cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin. So Ethereum, uh, Ripple, uh, Tether are, 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 are companies that I've worked with either on marketing or advisory. Right. Now, now, Mark. Bitcoin, of course, is the, the flagship um, uh, cryptocurrency. If it should fail, would it be really bad for all the other cryptocurrencies? Well, it's not going to fail. Uh, it's been 12 years and it's never been hacked successfully. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like saying, will gold fail? Uh, you know, uh, the price may go down. In fact, it, it, it crashed for a while there but it didn't mean that it was worthless. So Bitcoin is certainly, a Bitcoin will be here for hundreds of years because it's it's too big to, bank's too big to fail. It truly is too big to fail. As long as we have electricity and the internet on this earth, you will have Bitcoin. Okay, but gold, unlike Bitcoin, doesn't have the potential challenge from Janet Yellen, who might turn around and say, we're gonna have to put some controls on Bitcoin. What is we're well, hearing this? I'm not saying that that's going to happen, yeah. but there are people well, reading this, it. People are yeah, reading it. Yeah. So how do you respond I, to that? Sure. This usually happens when the price of Bitcoin goes up. People are trying to make it go down by uh, you know repeating things, asking leading questions to to new regulators, uh, you know, and and people you know, newbies get scared off, and then all of a sudden you see the price go up even higher. Mm. Uh, this is when you're when you're here a few cycles, mm. you sort of see this, uh, you know. Uh, Jamie Dimon said he would uh, fire anybody who was stupid enough to buy Bitcoin back when it was about $400. And now uh, JP Morgan is telling his best clients that they should have some Bitcoin in their portfolio, you know, when it hit $40,000. So uh, if I was a client of JP Morgan's, I'd be like, where were you when it was 400 when I could have really gotten uh, a huge return? Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they, they wait until it's safe. But, but Mike, you, you know yourself, Bitcoin is much more volatile than gold. We've seen, what, three 80% f 
falls in Bitcoin over the last four or five years. And last week it was, or well, a couple of weeks ago, it was 40 odd thousand. Now it's down to 31,000. Explain why it's so volatile. Well, it's early. Uh, if you look at the uh, petroleum when it first came out, it was even more volatile than Bitcoin. It, it would go up like 50x and then crash because they weren't quite sure if it was ever going to uh, replace whale oil. Um, and obviously it did. So uh, yes, you can talk about the 80% crashes that have happened every four years uh, when the bubble pops. And uh, you can also talk about the uh, uh, the popping at the end of uh, the Great Recession of 0809 and the Great uh, Depression in the 20s. Doesn't mean the stocks are uh, something that people should flee from. Uh, you need to study it so that you're not always buying high and, and, and selling low, but there have been very few times that you wouldn't be in profit right now. And in fact, there's, you know, when people say, oh, it went down 80%, they forget to mention that there were also times when it up, you know, last year was up uh, 350% from for the year 2020. And there were other years that it was up considerably more than that. 2017, it was up uh, 2000%. And 2013, it was up uh, almost 100x. Mm. So in general, it's, it's, it's higher than lower. Yeah. And what about the, you know, the concerns of some governments that uh, cryptocurrencies generally are being used by uh, people who are trying to cover up their transactions and therefore you've got all the tax offices around the world, you call it the inland revenue, um, all around the world trying to ask, or asking the question, now, are we missing out on a lot of income that should be taxed? Couldn't that be a potential threat to all cryptocurrencies in terms of well, regulation coming in? It, it's, it's, it's completely false because where most crime is, when you see drug dealers caught, they're not holding uh, Bitcoin wallets. They're, they, they have suitcases filled with cash. So uh, the, the, the latest uh, uh, studies that have been done by uh, groups that have been hired by the, by the U.S. government um, show that uh, last year, approximately one third of 1% of Bitcoin transactions are suspected of possibly being involved in crime. Whereas in terms of US dollars, uh, globally, it's, it's considered around 5%. So cash is always gonna be a higher uh, and much uh, harder to trace uh, element. So with governments, what they're actually doing is they're looking to embrace digital currencies that will be printed by the central bank, and uh, they'll be able to then they'll be able to tax absolutely everybody if that's the only thing you can use for, uh, you know, getting you know, paid by government sources. Mm -hmm. But you're allowed in a free country, uh, both Australia and the U.S. are you know, nominally free countries, right? Uh, to be able to go and say, I'd like to get paid uh, in gold. And you you have to pay your taxes based on what the the price is, and you have to pay your taxes based on what the what the price of Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is not anonymous; it's pseudonymous. It's got numbers that can be trailed. Uh, it would be a horrible thing for criminals to do. And now there are some privacy coins that make it uh, more difficult. But you know, you once you touch the fiat on ramps and turn something into dollars, uh, you've got more forms of identification than you have in most industries. So. It's just it's just a false narrative to say that. And by the way, the day after uh, uh, you know Janet Yellen uh, you know kind of stumbled along that answer, she put out a written statement clarifying that she doesn't want to slow down innovation in in the fintech industry. So you know th this was sort of a uh, a soundbite that, frankly, also did not really uh, crash the markets like it might have a few years ago. Uh, there were times when 
you know, when China said that they're not going to let the banks uh, deal with Bitcoin and the market went down 80% in a couple of weeks. Uh, here, for every dip, the smart institutions are buying. So is that's what's happening right now. So is that the strategy when the, the cryptocurrencies get um, taken to the cleaners, that's the best time to buy? Well, I wouldn't say when it's taken to the click. Yes, of course, it's always the best time to buy, mm. right? Uh, and it's also good to buy on the dips on the way up. This is the is the year of Bitcoin summer. There are four seasons in Bitcoin, and this has been established in the algorithms. There's a halving every four years, which means that the amount of new Bitcoin is cut in half. Can you imagine if the amount of gold by law had to be cut in half? The produ producers were told you can only uh, create half of the new new gold every year by law. Of course, the prices would be much higher, but we don't have that. But with Bitcoin, we do have that. Every four years, the algorithm stops putting out new Bitcoin at the same rate. In the first four years, there were 10 million. The second four years, there were 5 million. Then it was two and a half, then 1.25. And so your daily ratio goes down, down, down. And right now, there are three large institutions that alone are buying more Bitcoin every day than the miners have to sell. So that's where you get a supply and demand squeeze. Okay, so why is, is predicting that by December of this year, it'll be $100,000? It's actually one of the more conservative predictions uh, because that's the way these, the seasons have worked in Bitcoin. Mm. So you have every four years, you have the halving. That's, that's what I call Bitcoin spring, where the seed of the next uh, boom and bust is, is planted. And it takes usually about a year and change so far, it's always been in November or December of the year after the halving that you end up having a supply squeeze where the price goes up, new people come in because they see that they're friends or they read the media report that the price of Bitcoin doubled, tripled, quadrupled, and they were skeptical until all of a sudden friends they know made a lot of money. And they're like, oh, I better get in while the getting's good. And of course, that's right before the parabolic shift turns. And uh, so people who bought it at uh, 19,000 were crying a year and a half later when it was 3,500. On the other hand, if they just held on to it, they could have sold at 40,000. So you either hold for the long term and you'll always be fine. There's always gonna be a time uh, to be able to sell it higher or you day trade, in which case you should know what you're doing. You yep. shouldn't be an amateur and trying to play the market on a daily basis. Okay, so I think the last price I saw was 31,000 US dollars. Um, What's, what's the, the price people should buy into now? 31,000 well, or a bit lower? Um, no, I think, I think right now that there's, a, um, there's resistance at 30. It cracked through it for like a millisecond and bounced right back yeah. above it. Uh, so it's been going between 31 and 33. I just checked my uh, charts uh, when, we, when we got on the air here and it was 32,900. So it's mm -hmm. getting up to that 33 level. So what often happens is you'll have a narrowing uh, uh, wedge triangle and then something either breaks to the upside or breaks to the downside. Uh, in the meantime, what typically happens is that uh, the other coins go crazy. If you look at the altcoins, the decentralized finance coins, some of them are up 70% today. And uh, this is typically explained by the big institutions are only looking to buy Bitcoin on dips and then hold it for years. Hmm. Uh, the professionals, what they call whales, that's anybody with a thousand Bitcoin or more is considered to be a whale. Uh, the number of wallets uh, of a thousand or more has never been higher. In fact, in the last month it's grown, which shows that the very sophisticated old time investors are going in 
and they're playing these spreads between 40 and 30. They are day trading. They're mm-hmm. sitting there and they're, you know, buying it at buying at 30, selling at 40, and then putting that money into altcoins and then buying back again. And uh, and then they sell the altcoins and then they have more more Bitcoin. Okay, well, and that's been something that's happened every cycle. Okay, well, one last thing before we, we remind people that you and Harry are gonna argue this out on Thursday. What's going to take it to 100,000? Apart from the seasonality, it's still a big jump, 40,000 to 100. What do you think is going to make it do that? Well, again, supply and demand. And this this will be, if it goes to 100,000 from the halving last year at 8,500, it'll actually be the smallest jump that it's ever done from the halving. The first halving was $12. A year and one month later was 1,200, so it was 100x. The second halving was at $630. A year and a couple of months later, it was about a year and a half. Again, December was nineteen thousand three hundred, so that was thirty x. So if it goes from you know eighty five hundred to only a hundred thousand, you'd only be around twelve x or so. Uh, Tim Draper, the uh, you know famed VC who uh, was laughed at when he bought thirty thousand Bitcoin at seven hundred dollars, uh, now he's a billionaire from that alone. Uh, he's still insistent that it'll be at uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Even Harry said it's got a chance of going up to 300,000, but then he thinks it's going to crash 95%. I don't see that's in the cards. I think it could crash 80%, but it won't be quickly. It'll be in the winter, which is two seasons later, and then that's when you buy back. It's that's cer- when I will. It's certainly a uh, an investment product that you have to have a seatbelt on for to hang around with. Mate, thanks very much for joining us. Good luck with your debate with Harry. Okay, thank you. And that was Mike Turpin. Once again, if you want to check out um, that debate, it's on tomorrow, 11 a.m. Sydney time. Goko, G-O-K-O, group.com slash Bitcoin debate. And as I said earlier, you can check out that information on the link in the podcast show notes. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week.